I know we've been in Hebrews chapter 11, but I want to read just a couple verses in just a moment out of Hebrews chapter 12. Several people have asked me, because I was away last week, I was able to share a little bit with the men. I know my wife shared a little bit with the women last night with regards to uh, our trip out of town. We went to Forward Conference just outside of Atlanta that's hosted by Free Chapel where my son Clayton is uh, the student ministries pastor there. I might say tonight, as well I said to the men, I'll say it tonight, I'm, I'm grateful for Pastor Noah, and uh, I got great reports. The greatest thing I can hear on the phone is, it was a great day, Pastor, the house was full, everything went smooth, uh, Pastor Noah had a great word, and when I start hearing those reports, that just blesses my heart, because I don't want us to miss a beat. If I have to be out of town, and I, and I think, I, I don't know, I don't have anything scheduled now, so you're going to see me for a good long while, but... Uh, that's the greatest uh, blessing I could have in my heart is just to know everything just goes smoothly uh, when pastor's out. So I appreciate Pastor Noah doing that. I know Kelly had a part of service. Laura always has a part. We appreciate everybody that does that. And you guys just make it go seamless even when we have to be out of town. So I appreciate everybody doing that. But we went out of town because uh, my daughter, Kaylin, has been interning with Clayton there at Free Chapel. And uh, she'll be gone just another couple of weeks. We'll get her back. Uh, here in just a little bit, but uh, she's been able to uh, participate in the ministry there, and so she's being enlarged in that regard. And uh, we go always go to Forward Conference. 12,000 people jam into Gwinnett Arena, and I'm saying jammed. I've never been in an arena like that, that size. And then, and then you have ushers coming down still trying to find seats. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable thing when you think about it. And, uh, and it was just an incredible blessing to watch 12,000 people lift their hands. And I, I was looking around. I couldn't find anybody who didn't have their arms up in the air. And, and you're singing songs to the Lord. And there's just a dynamic and an energy that just is wow. And it just enlarges you. So anyway, we've done that for the last few years and uh, have enjoyed it very much. Um, while we were there, uh, some of you may not know the names of all of these artists that came. I did not know all of these people. Toby Mack was there. Anybody ever heard of Toby Mack? I, I, I didn't know until I was there that he was actually part of DC Talk. I did not know that. You see, you see I'm just, I'm dumb as a doornail. Of course, that's not exactly my style of music, to be candid with you. I mean, that's really hard for me to, to say that the music has now changed to where I used to think I was really, you know, cutting edge. And now, you know, you hear this other stuff and you're going, whoa, this is, this is different. So I, you know, Toby Mack was, you know, I just, if I could have understood more of what he was saying, I did hear Jesus on occasion. And I think there was a get right with God in there somewhere. Um, but so I can appreciate that. And obviously the kids could relate to it. And uh, anyway, it was great. That night, Christine Kane from Hillsong uh, shared a word and she shared about the A21 project. If you've never heard about that, I believe as a church, we're probably going to get more involved with some of this. I did not know 27 million people tonight are enslaved against their will in sex trafficking. Kidnapped, mostly women. Enslaved uh, with, the only word I can use is despicable uh, things perpetrated against them. In our world today, 27 million People. And uh, she is leading a campaign uh, in order to see this last bastion of injustice. It may not be the last one, but it's one. It's a major one uh, to be stopped, ceased. If you can believe, just last year was the first time ever 
somebody was tried in a European courtroom for sex trafficking. The first time ever. The laws are so lax in Europe that it's difficult to prosecute people who are perpetrating this particular crime. And it's, it's just sad and it's captivating. And uh, I, I just believe it's a justice issue that that's starting to stir in my heart and in our household. And, and when it stirs in pastor, it always bleeds over into the congregation. So anyway, we may hear more about that in the days ahead, but that certainly was impactful. And she talked a little bit, which was great, about not dropping the baton, that you know this generation is, is handing the baton of faith to the next generation, and we can't drop the baton. And basically, the exhortation was for those of you in my generation that we need to keep running strong, and for those that are in the next generation that are meeting right now with Pastor Noah, that they need to get up to speed because there's a baton that's got to be transferred to them. And the only way you can do that is when they're running with you at the same speed. So that was a great word. Next night, Planet Shakers were there from Australia. I love Planet Shakers, man. It's something from Australia. People from Australia. I, maybe it's their voice. I always felt like an English accent or an Australian accent carries with it an automatic anointing. It also carries with it an automatic intelligent quotient. If you speak in that proper English or Australian sound, it just you just sound smart. And so I just love it. I, I, I love their music. I, 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 I love listening uh, to their accent. And so Planet Shaker was, was there, and it was just off the chart good. Pastor Jensen spoke that night. You know, what can you say, man? He's just, he's just an incredible, gifted speaker. And uh, spoke on Absalom and how Absalom uh, uh, raised an army against his own dad in order to split the kingdom and take over the kingdom. And that uh, when, when the, the armies of Israel had literally split into two parties, those who would defend David and those who would uh, be behind Absalom. And when the battle was happening and Absalom's army started to lose, they turned and they ran into the woods. And as they ran into the woods, they ran into the bogs and the quicksand. And, and, what, and what, the, what their enemies could not do to them on the battlefield, the woods was able, were able to take them out. And um, the whole point of the message was, we've got to stay out of the woods. What Satan, listen, it was such a good word. What Satan cannot defeat you at certain points because you're a child of God. But if you find yourself in the woods, the woods can defeat you. It literally, Absalom caught his hair in a tree and he was killed. He wasn't killed on the battlefield. He was killed in the woods. And so it was, it was a great word about the woods, about staying out of the woods it's easier to get in the woods than it is to get out of the woods. I mean, you start, it was just, man, it was great. So uh, we, were, we were challenged and impacted, and all the young people were. And then the next night, Matt Redman was there. Many of you probably have heard of Matt Redman. He's, he's about my age, which he seemed out of place, but powerful man of God. He wrote the song, some of you will remember, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. You remember that one? Well, he wrote that. He wrote a lot of great songs. And uh, Carl Lentz, who is the pastor of Hillsong, New York, was there, and he preached on Samson and Delilah, and the and the title was, "That Girl Is Poison." <laughs> now I didn't realize that's a rap song. Yeah, some of you know that that's a rap song, but he but he kind of jumped off that rap song. That girl is poison, and he and he talked about, of course, our relationships, and uh, used Samson, and of course, you know, Samson toyed with things he ought not be toying with until finally his strength was taken away because his hair was shaved from his head. Uh, but eventually at the end of his life, you know, the hair grew back. 
And even as he was chained between the pillars in the temple of Dagon and pulled it down, uh, the last word was, it ain't over till it's over. And even if, even if you've been ensnared that Jesus is in the equation, there can always be a comeback. And it was a great word. And then we hang around till Sunday uh, just because I wanted a, a break. <laughs> and there was no preaching Sunday. Clayton, Clayton led worship. It was an amazing deal, man. Two services, absolutely packed out, people in the overflow. I, I, there's 3,500 seats in the auditorium. There had to be another 500 seats in the overflow. There probably were 8,000 people there, truth be told. And, and the service we attended, there wasn't any preaching. I mean, it just, God descended. And we packed the altars. And all you did was you just drank. And every now and then you just need to do that. Because, you know, teaching's good and preaching's good. And we're going to do some of that before the night's over. But, you know, preaching and teaching don't necessarily change you. In, in fact, America is, is a glutton for instruction. Our problem is we're not changed. The scripture, though, tells us why 2 Corinthians 3.18 says is that we all are being, with unveiled face, are being transformed from glory to glory. And it's when we get into the presence of God that we're changed. And, and you can hear hours of teaching. And believe me, I can testify to this. I have preached umpteen hundreds and hundreds of hours. And sometimes people are helped. Sometimes they remain the same. But you get 30 seconds in a genuine presence of God and you will be forever changed forever changed and so that's why church life isn't just instruction that's why you have to have the Holy Spirit on the scene because he's the only one that can bring transformation and so you can't stick him in a closet somewhere and hope he comes out some other time and people catch him I mean you can be relevant but you won't get transformation unless he shows up so it was just an incredible day and so Anyway, we were just, as always, you're always proud of your kids, and you're, I'm sure, proud of yours, and, and it was just neat to hang around them for a little bit. And uh, maybe next year, some of you, we may let the information out, and you may want to take a little vacation time and, and go to a forward conference. I will assure you it will be worth every dime you pay and every mile you drive uh, to go be there. It's that impactful. So I just thought I'd give you a little report. I don't know all that my wife may have shared, and that was a little bit more than I shared with the guys, but I thought I'd catch everybody tonight. and. And uh, then we'll just close the chapter and we'll go on to the next thing God's up to. Amen. We've been teaching on faith, but would it be okay tonight if I just, instead of taught, if I just preached a little bit? Now, maybe in your mind, you don't know the difference between teaching and preaching, and maybe there isn't that much difference. I kind of know the difference. I can tell when I'm teaching and I can tell when I'm preaching. And, and tonight, I can just tell you, I got a little, I got a little preach itch. That's probably going to happen. Saw Rosemary. Rosemary, I saw you on Tuesday. Rosemary said, I'm going on vacation, Pastor. I'm going to be there Wednesday. Give us a good one. Uh, Rosemary, I'm going to do my best, all right? I'm going, to be, I'm going to give you something to go on vacation with, all right? Hopefully, it'll keep you tied over until you get back. But I want to talk to you tonight just for a few moments. We've been talking about faith, and I want to talk about the legacy of faith. You're taking notes because... Because I'm not handing out notes. Why? Because faith cometh by and hearing by the... Yeah, so so if you're taking notes, which is fine, you're going to have to pull out your own piece of paper and pen. And you can write down the legacy of faith in Hebrews 12. I'm going to read just a couple of verses here. It says, Therefore we also, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the legacy of faith. Those days that I participated in the Forward Conference made me think about the next generation. You can't help but think about the next generation when you're looking at about 12,000 of them. And when you look at them, some of them are on target and loving God and worshiping Him, and some of them you want to help get on target. And uh, nonetheless, they were all there. And as I was looking at this sea of young people, I started just to think about, in the midst of all of that, what are we passing on to them? What is it that you and I are transmitting to the next generation? You know, no matter what area of life it is, most of the next generation learns whatever they learn about life from us. They learn what marriage is like from us. I mean, if we're, if, if, if we're dysfunctional, they come out, and truly, they just if they live in dysfunction, they come out thinking that dysfunction is normal because that's, that's the only thing they've ever seen. That's what defines normal to them. And anything they know, really, about life is going to be transmitted from us, whether we intentionalize it or whether we don't even think about it, things are being transferred. And so I thought about what, we, what are we passing on? Especially when it comes to the area of faith. What, 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 are we, what are we passing on to them? Do we care? Are we intentional about what we were doing? And I started to think about that. I started to think about the life of faith, the walk of faith. And, and I started just asking myself the question, because whenever you get in the presence of God, hopefully, hopefully you're not listening and saying, you know, so-and-so needs to hear that. I'm hoping that whenever you're in an atmosphere like this, that before you even dare to go that direction, you say to yourself, God, what are you saying to me in all of this? Before I can say they needed to hear that, I need to say, did I need to hear that? And so I started to think about these things, and I started wondering if, you know, are we, are we not only saying the right words, but are we leaving a model for them to follow? You see, it's one thing to say something, it's another thing to live something. You understand that it's not just do as I say, but it should be do as I do. And the question is, when it comes to faith, do they have a model from us that they can begin to emulate? Now, I don't think you can even begin to understand these first verses of chapter 12 until you understand that it's connected to the previous chapter. When all of this was written, the Hebrew writer did not write the verses and the chapter numbers down. He's just writing a letter. And so these first verses of chapter 12 are attached to the faith chapter, chapter 11. And when he begins to speak about the cloud of witnesses, he says here, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. What he means by that is, is that these cloud of witnesses are all of these people that we have read about in chapter 11. And if you read chapter 11, you will see there is quite a list of people there who are used as illustrations as to what it means to walk by faith. He says, this is the so great a cloud of witnesses. 
And as you begin to think about this so great a cloud of witnesses, I just started thinking again as I was reading through here. The synopsis, beginning in chapter 11, verse 32, he writes some things here. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me after he has spent 31 verses telling us all these other illustrations of people. He said, time would fail me to go on and speak of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith, listen, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. And it's interesting that as you begin to read all the illustrations of these people's faith walk, it's interesting that, that the writer gives us the whole picture. He doesn't just give us the good news and the victory stories. He gives us the whole picture. Because what we learn here is the same faith that enables some people to escape their troubles is the same faith that's given to other people to endure their troubles. Do you see that? Some of them escaped the sword and some of them perished by the sword. That almost seems incongruous. It seems, it, it, it seems like it can't fit together. But the writer is saying, by faith, some saw this earthly victory, but others by faith endured whatever was thrown at them to receive a better inheritance. That's the testimony. That's the so great a cloud of witnesses that you and I, as we read this particular chapter, begin to see. And these stories, for me, now I don't know about you, but for me, it inspires me, it motivates me, it challenges me. But then as I was reading Hebrews chapter 12, it was like it was plugged in for sound. It was as if the Holy Spirit said, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. I don't know if you realize this, but it takes a lot to be a professional athlete. No matter what sport it may be, it takes a lot to be a professional athlete. When I was at forward, I didn't know. I, I got these special seats because I know clay. So I got these special seats. It pays to know who's in charge. So I got to sit in this, this neat section and this, this, this uh, wonderful uh, black couple, sharp, sharp couple, sat next to me, young, just loving God the whole time, man, they're raising their hand, loving God through worship. And then all of a sudden he slips out and he's going down toward the platform. And I did not know until a moment later in service that I was sitting next to Morgan Trent, who was the, who was the starting defensive back for the Cincinnati Bengals. I didn't know I was sitting next to him. I thought that's cool. I've never got to sit next to an NFL football player before. That's really cool. I'm sitting next to his wife, and she just, I mean, she's a spiritual woman. I mean, I, and, and he gives his testimony, and I mean, blow you out of the water testimony. And he got up there, and he just, he, you know, he talked about the challenges of his life, but I'm talking about the dude is the genuine article. And I mean, it just was an incredible 
incredible thing. And, 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 and of course, I didn't know him. He sat down, but I had opportunity, and I, I was able to shake his hand. I said, man, that was, that was incredible. That was awesome and, and just wonderful testimony. Now, I, I, I have no idea in the natural what it might take for him as a defensive back 195-pound defensive back, and of course you realize in football, 195 defensive backs are in charge of tackling whatever size person gets into their area. So you're one tough dude. It takes a lot to be where he is. But there's another level of player. I don't know what all will happen in Morgan Trent's life, but there's another level of player in professional sports that is a cut above even even the professional uh, uh, attributes of a normal uh, athlete, and that is there are those who will, who will achieve Hall of Fame status. Hall of Fame status means that you're not just a professional athlete, but you're the cream of the crop. You are the, you are the best of the best. You will be forever remembered or enshrined. If you're a football player, you go to Canton, Ohio. If you're a baseball player, you go to Cooperstown, New York. If you're an NBA player, where do you go if you're an NBA player? Uh, who knows where you go when you're an NBA player? Springfield? Massachusetts. Oh, well, who knows? Anyway, they're, they're, the whole point is, is that you reach the place where you are the cream of the crop, you're the best of the best, you, you are inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's a very coveted position uh, your legacy as a professional athlete is forever remembered as being tops in your sport. It is your legacy. And I started to think about that, and I liken that to the walk of faith. How many of you know that there are numbers of Christ followers? Christ followers all over the globe living by faith. And I'll just tell you, it takes a lot to be a Christ follower. Truly, not everybody's going to make it. The Bible says that that broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And so the, the, the Bible tells us that, that there's not going to be a lot of people that even aspire to the level of being Christ follower. To be a Christ follower, there has to be humility, obedience, tenacity, resiliency. I mean, to be a Christ, just a Christ follower, you, I'm telling you, you are, you are of a different cut. That's just a Christ follower. Just like a professional athlete, to be a professional athlete, you are of a different cut. It's not, you aren't like high school. You aren't like college. I mean, you are a professional athlete. When you are a Christ follower, you just aren't getting sort of your toes dipped in a little spirituality. You're just not practicing a little bit of religion. You are a Christ follower. Now, saying that, that's something. But I believe God is calling well, he may just be calling me. Somehow I don't think that's the case. But he's calling us to aspire, listen, for the hall of faith. That's what he's saying. He's saying all of these people that I've given you in Hebrews chapter 11 are now in the hall of faith. They are forever enshrined in Scripture as doing great exploits. They are forever enshrined in Scripture as those, whether they saw the successful conclusion in the natural or whether they saw something in the natural that didn't look so successful, either by faith they accomplished it or by faith they endured it, but by faith they were victorious. I put them in here. They are a cut above the average. They are enshrined in the hall of faith, and God is calling us to the hall of faith. That's what he's saying. 
He says, you're, you're surrounded by so great a cloud of these witnesses that now, now they're cheering for you that you might be enshrined amongst them. You say, well, how in the world would you qualify for something like that? Well, he tells us here in, in chapter 12. You can look at it right here. Number one, to, to, if you're going to go to the hall of faith. Now, again, to be a Christ follower, I mean, I, I, I mean you're, you're already, as a Christ follower, a, a, a cut above average. I mean, you're living life at a whole other level. But to be enshrined in the hall of faith, he says, number one, you're going to have to lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. Now, it's interesting because weights were used by athletes to train, still are to this very day. Sometimes we put weights on our ankles and we run in order that when we take the weights off, we feel lighter, run faster, jump higher. Weights are used to build up our, our strength and our muscles. We're used, they are used to train. They're not bad things. Weights aren't necessarily bad things. In fact, in the right context, can I suggest to you that some of the weights that you and I have in our life could actually be good things. But you don't use them, or you didn't use them, when you were in a race. There are good things that can come into our life that will not serve me in my race. And that's a part that the church has got to get a hold of. We think, we think that the end result of faith is we get lots of stuff. The end result of faith is we get the victory and God gets the glory. And there are some good things that have to go to the wayside. They have to be laid down in order to get into the hall of faith. There are th I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying they're sin. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just saying there will be good things that God will touch in your life that he'll say you'll have to cast those aside because you don't have time for that. You, 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 that can't get your attention. That can't be a part of your life anymore. And, and you can't say, well, God, it's not evil and everyone else gets to do it. Maybe everyone else does get to do it. But you're going for Hall of Faith status. You're not ordinary. You want Hall of Faith status. So there are just some things, even good things, that we're going to have to have to lay aside. Now, secondly, because I have to hurry, it says now we have to lay aside the sin that easily ensnares us. Now, I understand because scripturally it's true that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that not true? I mean, even if we don't sin by commission, most of us sin by omission. Most of us, whether we believe it or not, uh, maybe we're not doing uh, 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 premeditated, willful transgressions. But I can assure you that most everybody in this room at some time or another intentionally, ignorantly, excuse me, unintentionally or ignorantly, uh, maybe you didn't know, but... but but, but there were moments that you fell short of what God's plan might have been in that situation, what God's desire might have been in that situation. And, and sometimes they're, they're, they're small sins. In fact, again, in our era, it seems like for whatever reason, we, we, live, we live with sort of the expectation that all of us are just going to have to navigate the small sins of life. But the writer here in Hebrews says there comes a place that you lay aside even that sin that so easily ensnares you. Come on, what, let, let, let's just get to it. There's too much compromise in our life. You may not be running around, sleeping around. You may not be getting drunk. You may not be doing drugs. You may, you may not be stealing, killing, murdering. But, but come on, compromise, lethargy, little things, little things. Do you know the difference between a, a Hall of Famer and a professional athlete? I believe is this. The Hall of Famer pays attention to the little things. 
You know why Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan? It's because he practiced more than the rest of them did. That's why. Do you know, do you know why Tebow's Tebow? It's because he, he was practicing and paying attention to the little things. I mean, there are great people, talented people. One of the things I used to say, because I, I just watched golf, one of the greatest golfers I think that could have ever played the game was a man by the name of John Daly. He could hit the ball. He was, just, he was this big, gigantic guy. He could hit the ball 350 yards. I mean, just massively hit the ball. He, he won some tournaments. He, he was a great golfer. But John Daly's problem was this. He refused to practice. He refused to discipline himself. He, he refused in any way, shape, or form at the end of, of a, a, a match. He would go out and he'd party and he'd drink and he'd, he'd carouse and he'd do these things and he'd stay out all night and then he'd come back the next day. And you know, from, from the time you're 20 to about the time, I don't know, you start in your late 30s, you can get away with some of that stuff. But by the time you get in your 40s, let me tell you, you can't burn the candle at both ends. And if you've not put some discipline into your life, you can't do what you used to do. I'm telling you, I, I, I can't do what I used to do. I, I painted a bedroom for my wife the other day, and I, was, I needed traction. I was, I was crippled for days. Just going up and down that ladder. My whole, my backside, my legs were like, oh, I can't. There was a day I could have worked that thing day after day. You get away with it because you're strong and you're young and, and you've got this. But, but, but what happens is, is we don't stay disciplined and we don't stay on target and we won't let loose of the little things and we won't keep, keep our life in tune and then we're ensnared. It's attention to the little things that separate the ordinary from, from the Hall of Famer. I remember back I, when I was playing baseball, I'd go through all baseball practice, you'd run, you'd run sprints, you'd do everything, and I'd come home and I'd still run five miles after practice. Because that's what you had to do if you wanted to play college baseball. Now, I didn't go any further because after a while, I didn't want to run five miles at night. But, but and you, you see what I'm saying, though? Are we going to be Hall of Faithers? And then thirdly, he says you got to run the race with endurance. This is about having tenacity, resiliency, the never-give-up spirit. When you're discouraged, when you're treated unfairly, don't, you don't get the promise like some of these in Hebrews chapter 11. Do you give up? Do you back up? You'll never be a hall of faither. If you throw in the towel all the time, you'll never be a hall of faither. If you give up too quick, you'll never be a hall of faither. Sometimes faith is just standing. And this is the question, and we're going to end. i got about three minutes, and this is when it's all driven home. It's this. Is there anything about your walk of faith that would qualify you for the hall of faith? What are the people coming behind you seeing? Are you leaving for your kids and your grandkids a legacy of faith exploits? Come on out. I started thinking about this in that great auditorium. When my kids and even my grandkids remember me, will I be remembered for my walk with God? Will I be remembered for what I did for the Lord? Will I be remembered for the things that I attempted for Him? Or, or will I even be remembered at all? What will family and friends say about you at your funeral? Have you ever thought about that? I don't want people to come to my funeral and whoever does the eulogy or eulogies have to lie. I've been to more funerals, and I, I won't go any farther than that, where they just flat lie. They talk about how good a guy he was. Well, maybe out of his 80 years, there were two days. And those are the ones we'll talk about. Two days. 
Now, what will your family and friends say about you at your funeral? Will they have to stretch things, make things up? Or will they be able to see, I watched this life. I saw what they did with my own eyes. And these are the moments, and that's what I came back with. These are the moments we're setting in place. Those moments. Will you be remembered for being caught by your kids on your knees praying? Will they ever find you praying, sacrificing, running after a God dream, walking by faith? I'll never forget Tracy's grandmother, a godly woman, when we found her dead in the nursing home. She had her Bible on her chest. She's dead as a doornail, but her Bible was right there on her chest. I'll never forget that. What will you be remembered for? What would what will be on your chest? Some of, it'd be the, for some, it'll be the TV control. Come on, I'm not, I'm not picking at you. I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you. Hebrews 11 to 12. He says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Run the race. I may never have a great amount of money. Probably, probably will never be a millionaire. Probably will never be able to leave massive amounts to my children. But there's something I can leave that's more valuable than money. My kids will be able to say that my parents, my mom and my dad, or my grandma or my granddad left me a path. They left me a model. They left me a life. I'm not always done right, but I can look back and I remember, see, I remember seeing them cry out to God. I remember seeing their sacrifice. I remember them seeing believe God. I remember when everything was going wrong in their life and they stood firm. I remember these things. That's our legacy. I know time's up. But can I just say, have you ever noticed, I just know, thought about this, have you ever noticed, for example, how popular the Kennedys are, but no one ever talks about Joseph Kennedy? You know why? I mean, what would you say? A womanizer? Bootlegger? He's the best bootlegger America ever has known. He was election racketeer. Oh yeah, he made millions. Probably set his children up to be America's most notable family ever. But isn't it interesting that nobody ever venerates Joseph Kennedy? I'm not picking on him. I mean, may rest in peace. But the point of the matter is you can have millions of dollars and everything else in the lineage can be messed up. It's interesting, even our president. Have you ever heard our president even mention his dad? Why is that? It's because his dad got his mom pregnant and then he went somewhere else. That's the society we're living in. And I'm telling you, it would not take that much from any of us to just live a cut above all of what they're seeing and to be able to leave a legacy of faith. Now, there are lots of things, and, and, and I am done with this. You'll forgive me for just, I hadn't preached to you. Last Sunday, I didn't get to preach, so I had all this bottled up. So it's just going, <laughs> see, if I, if I don't get it out on a week, it's just like it's all pent up and it's just like a, a Mentos in a Diet Coke. It just goes, <laughs> let's keep you going, Rosemary, for a week. All right. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if all, in all of our lives, whoever you are and however you measure success in your life, would it not be great? If you had more of whatever it is you think success is, maybe you had more money, maybe you had something bigger, larger, greater, glitzier. 
However you measure all of these things. Wouldn't that be great? Can I just stand here? I'll be honest with you. A lot of times I say to myself in those natural moments, yeah, that would really, that would be great to have some of those things in my life. And I'm not saying that God wouldn't, couldn't, shouldn't do those things. But can I just share this with you? God just gave me, now I'm going to share with you my, a personal God goal. Now he'll speak to you in some way, and I don't know what it may be. You'll have to hear from God for yourself. But I remember as I was standing there and forward, and I was just, I was worshiping God and all of this stuff's just kind of working in me. And I'm looking at the next generation and I'm thinking, what am I leaving for the next generation? What am I, what am I uh, demonstrating, living, modeling? And God, what's really important in all of those things? And, and this is what the Lord spoke to me. He just said, it's as if he said, Kevin, you just, you, you, you keep serving me. You keep you keep loving me. You keep being faithful to me. You keep doing what I have asked you to do. And, and you will hear, listen to this. This was a prophetic word, and I'll just announce it out loud. He said, I'll let you hear your grandson preach the gospel. Let me tell you something. Coming from a guy who was birthed out of a family tree that didn't know anything about Jesus, didn't really want to know a lot about Jesus, I was the first one that was birthed into the kingdom out of my family tree. I'm just telling you, I'm, I, what, what better legacy can you leave than a new lineage? That's worth millions. God, God's going to give me breath to hear a third generation. There were generations in our family lineage, the Baird family lineage that did not serve God, I know, I know way back there was, a, there was a Presbyterian pastor that was in my lineage, but there were so many, so many generations that did not know the Lord and did not serve the Lord. And now the word of the Lord is this, I will give you a third generation to declare the good news. That's what God can do. He can turn around a whole family tree. And, and you know what? Maybe I won't be the biggest, glitziest, greatest, largest. I, you know what? But when the, the end comes, and whoever gets to stand and talk about me, they can just line. They, 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 my family may not get bricks and mortar, and they may not get dollars and cents. They may not get all sorts of, of condos and lake houses, but I'll tell you what, they're going to get a legacy of faith. A legacy of faith that will transcend the stuff. And I'm just challenging you. What are you, what are you, what are you going to leave behind? This is the moment that you're defining that moment. Stand with me.